Welcome to the Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ 102.1, where we challenge the assumptions of our current society to resist oppression and investigate alternative ways of living for a world based on justice, solidarity, and sustainability. Welcome, you're on the Paradigm Shift with Ian. We're going to continue last week's foray into local government issues. Uh, we have a special guest here. Maybe you could introduce yourself, Elizabeth. Good afternoon, Ian. Um, I'm Elizabeth Handley from Brisbane Residents United. Uh, we're an umbrella group for local community groups in Brisbane. And when you say an umbrella group, how many groups does that entail? Uh, well, it's a shifting feast with the number of groups because some of the people, they get involved in community issues and their issue is resolved and then their group sort of peters out a little bit. So we have various numbers from time to time. The idea of Brisbane Residents United is that we all came from local community groups that were involved in a particular issue and we found that we all had the same issues. So we decided that the way that we could move forward was that we would start working on the legislative level of government and also trying to influence our political people so that we could get good results that could then be used by all community groups. The Queensland Constitution, it charges all local governments with the responsibility to provide good rule and local government over the, its area. Is that possible under the current system? It's very difficult, actually, under the current system. I think what has happened is local government, if you like, is the honeypot area of government. In, and what has happened, in, particularly in Brisbane, it is becoming increasingly politicised and the donations that are given to the political parties are increasingly affecting what is happening in Brisbane. I think we also, local government is really caught between a rock and a hard place as well. We really need to be looking at our population levels and what is the carrying capacity of various areas around Australia? What, how many people can we afford to have in an area? Because the way things work at the moment, the federal government decides on how many people can come to Australia and they settle in various parts of the country but then both state and local governments are set targets to settle these people. Now, that may not work well for the people who are already living in those areas. And in fact, we can already see that the country is becoming stressed and certain areas are literally becoming unlivable. So, but local government is the, the, the level that's charged 
with making space for those people. The Brisbane City Council yesterday announced under the rubric of um, saving the backyard that they're going to place a ban on townhouses and they're going to allow it. Is that a solution? Not necessarily. No, it's not. I don't know if you're aware, but a number of years ago um, during the Jim Sully administration, they did a huge project with local people called City Shape. And the idea of City Shape, and it had 60,000 people from memory who had input into City Shape. And what they actually said was that they would like to see the city develop in dispersed areas. And by that, I mean, maybe things developed around various shopping centres around the place. Their second choice of how development was going to happen was along transport corridors. And the third choice was the inner city. And the last choice was that it was dispersed through various um, areas. What our council has done since that time is actually they've increased the development in the city. They've certainly increased the development in the ring suburbs around the city. They have, to a certain extent, increased development around shopping centres and, and, you know, for dispersed um, areas, but not really, and transport corridors to a certain extent, but not once again, not really uh, taking those into account. And when you think about how do we want Brisbane to be seen, do we just want to be a cookie cutter of every other city that you go into, or do we really want to embrace our subtropical climate and be seen as Brisbane? Do you know that where we feature our Queenslanders and just a different way of life that we celebrate, you know, a more open, a more outdoor way of life. You mentioned the Jim Sawley administration there. Of course, Jim Sawley latched onto this idea to allow people to divide the 24 perch block or the 30 perch block and to develop a second dwelling and thereby make um, money out of that. And that caused a lot of concern amongst residents then, Mm -hmm. particularly the kind of houses that were built. So rather than saving the backyard, the houses just take up the whole block. You don't see the people. They're Mm. just, they don't, there's no sense of community. And there's often rental, they're rented Mm. out because people are taking advantage of federal government legislation, both a reduction in capital gains tax and also negative gearing on their income. They can claim the deductions of their expenses and outgoings in that property against their real income, which is their wage. Mm. Jim Sawley created a mess, didn't he? Well, I think, Ian, if we looked at all of the councils, the problem is that somebody comes in with a brilliant idea and they always half implement it. They never actually fully implement the idea that the way that these ideas should be developed. I became involved in in the area of um, community consultation when I looked at the amount of green space that was being lost around Brisbane and realised that it was very busily being sold off by various councils and they were allowing high-density development on those areas. So what we have ended up with, if you look at somewhere like West End, there's an enormous amount of development that's been allowed in that area in high-density development and there is no green space. There is no corresponding infrastructure that goes along with that development. And I think it's the same with the splitting the block thing. Do you know when you... I am sure that people during this heavy rainfall have noted 
that the, the rain that is falling to the ground, unless you have land that that rain can soak into, is now actually in the streets and in the gutters and it is running faster and there is more of it than there has ever been before. You look at some of the new developments that are going ahead at the moment and they are on blocks as small as 300 square metres and some of them even smaller than that, I believe. There is no space. Where, and we are in a subtropical climate. The predictions are the climate in Brisbane is going to be like that of Rockhampton and we're not planting the street trees or the way that make that um, temperature livable for everybody in this city. You mentioned um, other councils. Mm. I did a, I've just completed an interview this morning with a young horticulturalist who is running in Toowoomba mm -hmm. and she raises a number of interesting issues. So I'd like to go to that interview now and then get your your, your comments on it afterwards. I'm talking with Elizabeth Handley, mm -hmm. who's from the Brisbane Ratepayers... Residents United. Residents United. United. Oh, good, because yeah. that incorporates everyone, doesn't it? It does, absolutely. Not just ratepayers. No, no. So let's go and have a listen to Michelle McIntyre from Toowoomba. Could we start by you introducing yourself? Hi, Ian. Um, my name is uh, Shell McIntyre. I'm a candidate for the upcoming Toowoomba Regional Council elections. Uh, they'll be held on the 28th of March. What are your policies? I believe that we can look to a, a greater future. I think that, that currently uh, politicians are not reading the room. I think people want to see more green spaces available for their use, especially for future use. My platforms are heavily involved with art, community and transport, um, leading on, on to tourism as well with those green spaces. The Toowoomba region area is a massive area. It uh, extends far. Ten areas were amalgamated when the council formed one big council to cover those regions and really those outer regions don't get much looking at all. So uh, I'm for developing the region as a whole. I believe that, you know, we're an hour and, and 40 minutes from Brisbane. You know, on the Warrego Highway, it's a great road. We, uh, we're looking at uh, trying to get the passenger rail coming through Toowoomba. But I think that we can use this space. We are country. We should be involving our Indigenous people and our arts community. We've got so much going on here. We just have to stop putting in these great swathes of houses with with uh, no trees and, and shopping centres and no infrastructure to really support those areas. Does Toowoomba have a local public bus service? It does, but it's kind of out of popular use, unless it's right on peak time, taking kids to school. It's, it, they use big buses, people aren't really using it, it's slow, often the buses are not really running on time, and people do complain about it. We've got a rail line that runs through through town as well, you know, uh, normally it's just coal trains running on, on that, but really coal is going out of popularity, we know it's going to go. Uh, I think that we could better use, utilise that, uh, that rail service as well. There's so many possibilities if we look past making all the money from just unthought through developments. There's a big issue running in Toowoomba at the moment regarding the Mount Lofty uh, group, which is uh, Save Mount Co Lofty Koalas, uh, especially after the fires and a lot of the damage that has gone on with clearing how it's affected koala habitat and their lives. Uh, we have this big area on our escarpment, fantastic view. We're a country, we're, and uh, that's what we've got. We've got our views and our wide areas, 
So they're looking, um, the Department of Defence is looking at building 342 houses on the escarpment, which will actually affect a koala habitat. And I think given what's happened with the koalas, we, we should really be looking at saving that area and developing it further so that the koalas can actually repopulate, build their colony much bigger. So the Defence Department is going to build uh, right on the escarpment, is that right? That's correct. On Wednesday night, I attended a bushfire escarpment safety talk that was held at the Tafia, and uh, that was very good. We had firefighters talking and, and people who were just talking to people about the dangers of building on escarpment and uh, how we can actually further involve Indigenous culture for burning. It's just, it's to me... Um, that space is better, less clear. The 342 houses takes an enormous football field of area. Uh, it's just crazy, you know. We, we've got to start preserving those those great green patches for future. You know, if we, if we rip it all off now, it, it's uh, not going to come back. Uh, trails of the First Nations people exist across the Darling Downs and through Toowoomba. Mm-hmm. Are any of them marked in Toowoomba? Any of them what, sorry? Are they marked or there's signs saying that this is an Indigenous trail? There's some bits and pieces at the, the University of Queensland grounds. They have an Indigenous garden. Uh, the university obviously pushes for more diversity. Uh, but no, I don't feel like there's anything out. You know, I only found out the other day, <laughs> this is interesting, that there's a Bora ring outside of Toowoomba. You know, that's really interesting stuff and you don't even know it. You know, that, that's right here in our, in our area. Toowoomba was a huge meeting place for Indigenous culture. And, uh, no, there's, there's nothing. It's, and that, that's what I think we really need to foster. So you want more engagement between Aboriginal people and local people so that they know each other's cultures? You exactly. Want, and then you want to improve the transport system by introducing better buses, maybe smaller ones? I actually consider that council should be able to supply a fleet of small buses so that events and community things can be better attended. See, uh, for one one thing about jobs, you know, if we aim for tourism for jobs, the, the greatest group of unemployed people is the over 55 range, of which Toowoomba has a lot. And uh, those people actually would like to be more engaged in the community, but it's difficult to get out. If we had a bus service, we do have one small bus service here. You can put in your address in the Rangeville area. They will go and pick you up and take you places. I think that sort of system can operate throughout the region and for specific events. I'm hoping to get some kind of community and arts development hub, like an office within the council, that can actually coordinate all of these great things that go on in this area, because it's really hard to find out about things. And I think if we can get people to those events or to those community uh, engagements, then uh, everyone is just much better off. So we, uh, I went to Woodford this year as a volunteer, so I saw firsthand how volunteers can really help things along, and that's just better for, for mind and well-being, all of that engagement with community and feeling like you have purpose. It's very difficult to run a car these days. It's very expensive, and it's pretty hard if there's not much tr- public transport or encouragement to get out and do things. Okay. Any comments, Elizabeth Handley? Uh what I'd, what I'd love to comment on, actually, is I found her comments about transport very um, insightful. Uh, the 
state government just recently did some research into what they thought people would like to see in the future of transport and we actually put in a submission about that saying that we saw that driverless cars, particularly the small um, electric driverless cars, could be a very successful way of actually doing local transport. So something that was the size of a small bus that would go around and pick people up from their addresses and then deliver them to where they wanted to be and that it all happened within a set time frame that you could do via, um, um, you know, a fairly simple computer system. Um, so it's what it says to me is I am so pleased to see that people are thinking outside the box and uh, your person who you were interviewing was just so insightful as well in that people need to be engaged in their community. The more engagement that they have in their community, the healthier they are going to be. And particularly with an ageing population, it's very important that those people use their brains and that they are engaged fully in their local community. So, um, you know, Toowoomba has a lot of opportunities to make it a centre for agri-tourism as well. You know, not just... And, and when you can blend that in with Aboriginal tourism, as it's, we think too narrowly. We should be looking at including our communities and making them vibrant. Um, I'm talking with Elizabeth Handley, who's from Brisbane Residents United. And this is a discussion about local government, how it can be improved. It's part of a series on the paradigm shift in the lead up to the local government elections on the 28th of March. Let's go to a song now. It's Sounds of a Town by Jumping Fences. Strange sounds, familiar songs invite me. Please with 
That was uh, Sounds of Our Town by Jumping Fences. You're on The Paradigm Shift. It's 25 past 12. I'm talking with Elizabeth Handley from the Brisbane Residents United Group, who also is a bridge player. <laughs> <laughs> I just found out. Do you know my great aunts? That I went to a holiday down in Victoria and they decided I was too stupid to teach me bridge, so they taught me 500 <laughs> instead. <laughs> And we had some great times <laughs> playing 500. <laughs> anyway, so interesting things that Michelle raised there. Firstly, about the amalgamation of the shires. What do you have to say about that? I think a lot of those were very poorly thought out. In, and, that, and the fact that the Noosa Shire Council took itself out of the amalgamation, and thankfully so, with the Sunshine Coast. And I know that Stanthorpe very strongly wanted to remove itself from um, the Southern Downs uh, Council. It, do you know, the thing that was very annoying about those amalgamations were there were a lot of councils, quite small councils, who were very responsive to their local communities and those councils were amalgamated and the property that they had very carefully and the resources they had very carefully husbanded over a number of years was then turned over to larger councils, often in a lot of cases, larger councils who had mismanaged their budgets who sold off a lot of the assets from the smaller council sites and are still mismanaging the budgets because they were the larger population areas in some of the um, sites. So the council amalgamations, the question I ask your listeners is, have your rates gone down because of council amalgamations? That's what you were promised. Has that happened? And I can tell you in most of the areas that I know of, the rates have skyrocketed. They have gone in exactly the opposite direction. Uh, last week, Rob Pine, former independent um, member of parliament and now running as a councillor in Cairns, he raised the point that amalgamations provided an economy of scale. What do you have to say about that well, idea? I think the things that you're looking to provide economies of scale on, there is nothing to stop you doing that. You know, there's nothing to stop you having regional assets, for example, to do road building and that are shared by a number of smaller councils. But when you have situations where a small town might have had a swimming pool and various other assets that they had built up over a period of time and then the larger town in that amalgamation decides that that swimming pool is too costly for them to run now and just shuts it down, that's not increasing the services for the local people. And I think if you asked a lot, a lot of people in various areas in the country whether they thought the amalgamations had been a success or not, I think you'd get a very definite no. Another point that Michelle raised was about housing. She raised a, a really problematic thing where apparently Defence Force housing up in Toowoomba is mm -hmm. going to have a big development right on the escarpment. And that's incredibly dangerous. We've just seen what happens with bushfires, and I don't know if people are aware, but bushfires actually travel faster uphill than they do just across the flat. And particularly when you'd have an area where the wind would be behind that as well, it's, it's just not a sensible idea. I, I almost wish we made 
council, the person who makes a decision, personally responsible. Because when you allow developments to happen in inappropriate areas, for example, on an escarpment where you've, and you're in a, a bushfire prone area, or on floodplains, as a number of people would have experienced recently, the people who allow those decisions should be personally responsible for them. We're allowing the development industry and a local council. Well, the thing about a local council is that it's the ratepayer that ends up paying for their mistakes. But does the local council, in this case Toowoomba, have the power to override a decision by by federal government about defence force housing? Unfortunately, it doesn't. That's that's the truth of it. If um, they can certainly have a say in it, but. Uh, for I think both state and federal, they are able to override um, the local planning. So doesn't that get back to your original point that absolutely federal and state governments are forcing councils to do things they don't want to do? Absolutely, and it's not in the interests of the local residents, but they're being forced to do so. Yes. So they go ahead and do it. Uh, there were various issues that we raised in the planning legislation that was put through by the state government in 2015, 2016, and one of those things was that you cannot um, adequately, councils could not refuse a lot of applications because within the planning legislation, they were unable to refuse certain. And when you have situations where they may be taken to court by an, a person, a developer or another government department who wants to build a particular development, um, they just don't have the resources to always be taking that sort of thing to court. So m maybe, um, I mean, taking your example earlier about West End, mm. where developers moved in and there's been high-density uh, housing approved by council, yes. maybe local areas should have the right to veto development. For some reason, Ian, our government at all levels has stopped, and, and I can say this very clearly, has stopped doing good community consultation. And they seem to be scared of actually getting the opinion of local people. I personally believe a lot of people, if you give them the facts, you tell them what's required, and you say, this is the parameter in which we need to make our planning decisions, they respond like adults and they can come to reasoned decisions. It's our governments don't trust us to do that. Hmm. Well, two weeks ago, I went to the QUT uh, to a, I think it was billed as a reimagined Brisbane. Mm. It was organised by the local Greens councillor for the mm -hmm. GAB Award, Jonathan Shree, and a whole bunch of yes. people around him. And they did just that. They consulted with the, the community and over 100 people turned up mm. and gave their ideas about mm. what needs to be done. Isn't that a good model? Oh, it's it's a fantastic model. And um, Jonathan Shree has done a number of things. Uh, for example, with his budgeting uh, situation, he sent out um, an email to people who were on his email list as a councillor and said, okay, what 
do you want to see done in your local area? What projects would you like to, us to tackle? Then he had those projects costed. He sent them back out to those people and said, okay, these are the projects. This is how much it costs. Which ones do you want us to proceed with first? That is true democracy in action. Do you know, that to me was a very powerful way of saying, I trust you as a community to act like adults. Hmm. Earlier this morning, I had an interview, a very interesting one with Gary Duffy, who was the mayoral candidate in Ipswich in 2016, 2017. And then there was a, an administrator put in charge of the Ipswich Council mm. after the council was sacked for corruption. Let's just go to that interview and see if we what comments you have to make on that. Mm. Uh, you're on the paradigm shift. We're talking about local government and how to reform it. Could we start by you introducing yourself? Hi, Ian. I'm Gary Duffy, and I'm running for uh, position on the council in uh, Ipswich in 2020. Are you now, or have you ever been a member of the Labor Party? Uh, yes, I was a member of the Labor Party. In I joined the Labor Party, I think, 1977 to 1982. And what led you to leave? I was asked to do something that was morally incorrect, um, and that was to organise people to vote for dead people at polling booths. What policies are you putting forward to improve Ipswich now? Our biggest policy is that we really want to um, bring back some balance to Ipswich and, uh, instead of focusing on false promises on things that can't be delivered or won't be delivered or um, we're just pie in the sky ideas with our policies that basically make the city a more interconnected city, fix up the roadworks, concentrate on reducing the footprint of uh, pollution and um, rubbish and waste in the city and make a council that's for better livability in the city because currently the city has got the highest unemployment around. That is a real issue along with that the city is not sustainable in that most people work out of the city so that when people come and start a business in the city, they open the doors up. Most people go to work out of the city and that means that a lot of businesses fail in Ipswich because of that. We don't have uh, people going to a sh uh, shop with the door at the front. In the 1950s, I grew up across the river from Ipswich on a farm in, at Mogul and in those days there were these mine shafts under the entire district and that of course reflected Ipswich main industries at the time of coal mining and then the railway workshops were another important industry and of course the Swanbank power station. Now all of those industries are now gone. How can ordinary people make a, a living these days? And I mean real jobs, not... Yeah, I, I understand real jobs. In a business I was in in manufacturing, we've got uh, Queensland Small Business of the Year with um, uh, the business that um, I started with a couple of thousand dollars and by selling a second-hand car and then a couple of years later, and five years later, we got Queensland Small Business of the Year. I do understand that business is very difficult to do, but business is hard and you need to work on it. I travelled 400,000 kilometres in my car across Australia, living out of my car, setting up the business 
and getting customers. So uh, there's nothing easy in business, and I do know that business is not easy. But the thing that we need to attract uh, companies here is uh, companies like Bosch or uh, other big companies need to be able to feel secure in bringing their businesses to Ipswich. We have um, over 20,000 people out at the um, Amboy Air Base and we have an opportunity there for military businesses. I lived in Europe, in Hungary for a, almost uh, for more than a couple of years and I saw how they encouraged and brought in big businesses like Bosch, Tiba, uh, Glasgow SmithKline, uh, Sony, um, uh, Siemens and all the rest of it is that they create a uh, more of an atmosphere to encourage them to come and that and uh, encourage them to employ local people and that that's a very good um, system that they have over there and we can do that here. There's an old saying uh, you can't fight city hall. Based on your experience of the past four years, do you think that is true? Well, City Hall started to fight against me seven years ago. Uh, so we've been in a battle with the City Hall in Ipswich for seven years. It is true that you can't fight City Hall, but you've got to ask the question, why should City you have to fight City Hall? Because City Hall should be a uh, government for the people. Uh, it's closest to the people. It should represent the people. Instead, what we find is that City Hall um, becomes an organisation that um, has so many rules and regulations that enable it to uh, cause untold detriment to uh, people in the community. Uh, there's no other reason but to be vindictive. Um, and that needs to change and we set about to change that and um, uh, I think we've come a long way in seven years um, we were, we've been successful in getting the first charges on some of the people and uh, we've got the council dismissed that took a long time we set out a plan to do that um, uh, once we identified that we the local government can make any rule it likes to make corruption legal. Uh, it has more power than the state government. That's why the state government couldn't sack the Ipswich Council unless they've made a special bill. Um, Section 9 of the Local Government Act is that the local government can um, do anything that a state can do. That means that the local government has as much power as the state government. Uh, and can do anything that a state government can do. Uh, that means makes policies and everything else. But um, the big difference in the local government is that, the, um, which has now changed, is that the mayor used to um, have to give a performance review of the CEO and then the CEO had to give a performance review of the mayor every year. That means that... Uh, each looked after the other as far as their position. 
You're on the Paradigm Shift with Ian and Elizabeth. Uh, we're talking about local government. Now, I have interviewed a number of people uh, today. Now, we won't be able to play all of the interviews, uh, but you can, in the podcast on SoundCloud, you'll be able to access the entire interview that I had with those people. So, Michelle McIntyre, Gary Duffy, later we'll play an interview with Jim Dodrell from Ipswich, and um, also of the people from last week, Rob Pine as well. Um, so you, you can get the full interview on the podcast. Now, Elizabeth, Gary had quite a bit to say there. What do you? What's your impressions? Well, I, I think he made a lot of very good points. And the big developers in lots of areas do things that an ordinary person would not be allowed to get away with. The way that the planning system... Our, our system is actually broken and that's that's the reality of it. People think about corruption as just being handing over a brown paper bag full of money. That's not the way corruption works. It's a lot more insidious than that. And one of the things that corruption is actually about is access to our politicians. I can tell you as... Um, an organisation, we could, we have been unable to get access to the planning minister. State planning. Who is that, by the way? Well, it was Jackie Trad originally. We tried for almost six years to get a meeting with her one on one, and the same with the planning minister now. We, uh, but I can assure you that both of them have met with numerous developers on numerous occasions. Now, I have spoken to a number of community groups and all of them have exactly the same issue. It is incredible that our political leaders think that it is okay to just be meeting with one side of an argument and not meeting with the people who are actually paying their wages because the community is who pays for government. Developers do not pay government, but they do pay politicians to get them access. Corruption costs us all an enormous amount of money. Do you know, you mentioned the coal mines in um, Ipswich. Ipswich. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if people are aware, there are coal mines in Ipswich that have been burning for the last 50 years. That is the danger when you do not have proper regulation. And some of those mines are actually burning over places that have subsequently been turned into rubbish tips or... And that's one of the things that the last um, uh, council in Ipswich was very busily doing was selling off parts of Ipswich as landfill sites. And there were trucks coming from interstate to dump their rubbish in Queensland because it was far cheaper than doing it in their own state. So that's what happens when you get a council that is out of control and is in the thrall of particular people. So it's it's a very dangerous situation and that's why it's very important that local government should not only be seen to be above corruption, that we have to have the policies and the procedures and the legislation in place that show it is above uh, corruption. Just... Uh, do you know, and it's, a, it's very insidious the way that our political system is being changed. For example, the state government is looking at legislation at the moment to enshrine 
political advisors so that political advisors can be appointed by local councils for various people in those councils, the, the mayor or some of the councillors. Now, all that is, as far as I'm concerned, is that is um, a donation to a political party because as an incumbent in council, you already have more of a sway. And as we've seen with the Brisbane City Council and the amount of advertising that they are doing on the ratepayer dollar at the moment for the LNP, it's, it's absolutely disgraceful that we're now having another layer of donation that we're giving as the public to political parties because the majority of those political advisers will be in the larger councils and they will be for political parties. When I grew up in, you know, I grew up in Brisbane where, where it was, a, it was really a town the size of Ipswich now, only about mm. 200,000 people. Um, they had very long uh, administrations in the council. Mm. They had uh, a, a town clerk, uh, J.C. Slaughter, who was there for, I think, over 30 years. Um, they had a Lord Mayor, Clem Jones, who took over from prior Lord Mayors that didn't do very much. And, you know, there was a bit of a change. And he set about um, developing Brisbane mm. into the city that it is today. The, an interesting aspect of that was that, OK, Clem Jones was very popular he was lauded as being mm. a good Labor mayor. He was given jobs after he finished that, you know, after Cyclone Tracy and stuff mm. like that. So he was held in high regard. But when he passed away, it turned out that he owned half of Carina. Yes. And um, I don't know how many hundreds of million dollars were in his estate, but for a Labor man to be worth hundreds of millions of dollars, that says to me that the... the there's a corruption there in in the party in the in the state that allows that to happen well it's it's a situation where at one stage there was a very clear definition or a very clear separation of powers if you like the um, people in the council including all the planning officers they were very strictly kept away from the political machinations of the council now that changed um from, I believe, under Sally Ann Atkinson in the Brisbane City Council in particular, which is the one I, I probably know the most about. That should never have been allowed to change. It should always have been a totally... The planning issues should always have been decided just on planning issues, not on political interference. It's, it's a very poor system where you see that... I'll give you an example. The ABC site at Tawong, which is one I was I was very heavily involved with, that site there was a neighbourhood plan. The what people in the local area said was the the precise limit for that was fifteen stories. What was proposed by the developer was the equivalent of thirty three stories, though the tallest of those buildings. That site, originally, the local councillor had sent out many years before a survey to the local people, did they want that site for parkland? And absolutely they did, yes. So that developer and that development at 33 storeys was approved by the developer 
One of the local residents had to take it to court to have it stopped. And what the outcome was, was that it was approved by the Planning and Environment Court. And then the um, individual took it further to the appeals court, which most of us couldn't even dream of doing. And the appeals court found that the council, that the um, Planning and Environment Court didn't have the right to override what was embodied in the neighbourhood plan, which was the wishes of the people. Because what they had tried to say in the Planning and Environment Court was this building was being built in the community's interest. Well, that's rubbish. And if you looked at Tuong at the moment, Tuong has lost over six green spaces in the last number of years. It has had no replacement green space. Yet, there are over 5,000 new bedrooms that have been built in Tuong in the last five years. So, when I, and why I talk about bedrooms is it gives you a better indication of how many people are actually going to be in that area. That's just, you know, you... So, we're building this stuff without the infrastructure that we need. We're not doing it in a cumulative fashion. So, uh, for example, we're not seeing what the cumulative results of inappropriate development is. And if you're deciding things on a political basis, how are you ever going to do good planning in a city? You can't. As it turns out, by coincidence, I read the uh, Court of Appeal uh, decision in that matter mm. that you mentioned about uh, the ABC site in Tuong. And the judge, I think, correctly said that that little peninsula of land there mm. didn't possess the road infrastructure no. to have a development of that size. Now, that to me is a complete no-brainer. Yes. And obviously someone in planning saw that and, and saw the difficulties, but mm. they got overridden. Oh, yeah. Also, the other aspect of that is even to talk about development on that site within like 15 years of there being a cancer cluster there, that seems to be a crazy or they, what do they do? They just forget about the findings that there was a cancer cluster there and just move on and maybe repeat the same mistake that was done when they built the ABC. And the, the question I would put to you about the ABC site is, would you rather that a park was put there where people spend very short periods of time where you have open air going over or wind and, and air circulation over that site so that any possible contamination would be a very minor exposure compared to actually be building apartments on that site where people live with it daily. I'd go for the park. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you know, and that's the sensible thing, that that's the option that our council should have taken up. I can give you a very good example, actually, of where a council... The Milton Tennis Court site, I was involved in that very heavily. That site was sold because the Queensland Lawn Tennis Association had a million-dollar debt. So at that stage, either the state or the council could have stepped in. Now, that site is a floodplain. It is built on something called Red Jacket Swamp and it was a dump. Yep. So, in the end, 
the council spent, I believe, supposedly about $30 million to buy that site. And that was after a court case that we were involved with and various um, changes to, do you know, what sort of development would be allowed on the site. In 2011, that site flooded. In 1974, that site flooded. It has flooded several times since then, just minor flooding. But 2011, there was a minor change to the height of that site and houses flooded that had never flooded before. And I don't know if people were aware, but the Brisbane City Council decided in its wisdom that because of the Wyvernhoe Dam, they were going to change what the recorded flood levels were in areas. Well, I had a book from the Milton Lawn Tennis Association that stated that that had been seven metres underwater, that site. According to the Brisbane City Council documentation that they provided to the Planning and Environment Court, it was only five metres underwater. And after the 2011 flood, they had to admit that they had actually changed the documentation. It is scary that somebody would do that. I'm just going to go to a song and then we'll come back for a summary. Maybe a song that's related to this in a way. Uh, it's Bobby Darren's Mac the Knife, which... Oh, the shark bait has such teeth, dear, and it shows them pearly white. Just a jackknife has old Maggie Heath, babe. Keeps it uh, out of sight You know when that shark bites With his teeth big Scarlet billows start to spread Fancy gloves though Where's old Maggie Heath, babe? So there's never, never a trace of red Sidewalk, uh-huh. ooh, Sunday morning, uh-huh. lies a body just oozing life. And someone sneaking round the corner. Could that someone be Mac the Knife? There's a tugboat uh-huh. down by the river, don't you know? Where Cement bag just drooping on down. Oh, that cement is just—it's there for the weight, dear. Five will get you ten old Mackies back in town. Not to hear about Louis Miller—he disappeared, babe. After drawing out all his modern cash, and now Maggie. Oh, 
Okay, Bobby Darren with um, Mac the Knife. Uh, that uh, it's an upbeat tune, but lots of violence and murder and stuff. Away from that now, and we're talking about local government with uh, Elizabeth Hanley. What what's your sort of takeaway message to people who are going to vote in the coming election? If you've had dealings with your local councillor, or you can remember the things that they promised the last time they were le- elected. Have they delivered on those promises? Is the amenity in your area getting better or is it getting worse? And if it's getting worse, you need to be talking to the local candidates and find out what they're going to do to improve your local community. Are they going to be looking after green space? Are they looking at planting trees, street trees? Are they looking at doing things that will make your community more vibrant? Great. We're out of time. So we're going to go out now with a a beautiful song by Joni Mitchell, Night Ride Home. Um, As I said earlier, we're going to play the interviews on the podcast. So if you go to Paradigm Shift on SoundCloud, you'll be able to access them there. Thank you very much, Elizabeth, for coming in today. Um, one thing I should ask is, if people want to get involved as you are, should, can they join your group? Or We're actually more an umbrella group for community groups, but what I would say to people is look for a community group that works in your area. For example, at West End, there's the West End Community Association that's a very active um, organisation aware of what's going on, the better government you are going to get. If you are a silent majority, I'm afraid the outcomes for you aren't going to be good. Well, on those wise words, that's it for the Paradigm Shift this week. Just go out with a beautiful song by Joni Mitchell, Night Ride Home. See ya. Corner.
pride 